Some of my favorite stories follow hopelessly broken protagonists looking for happiness. TV shows like Mad Men, BoJack Horseman, and Breaking Bad are some of the best examples of the subgenre. They examine their characters with nuance and without conventionality. They don't fall into the familiar tropes that most stories flaw with flawed protagonists fall into. The worst of these stories had the same exact formula. Okay, let me sum up one of these stories in 30 seconds. A man or woman has an okay life, but something is missing. Something deep within their heart that they know they can't explain. They have a friend who quote-unquote knows that the thing they need is a significant other for them to find meaning. After countless mishaps with bad, weird dates, they find the one person they've been looking for, but they just don't know it yet. The world has to tell them that this person is their soulmate. And after a bunch of misunderstandings, a man running to stop a plane or taxi, and then a cutesy romantic speech. You complete me. And I just had... Shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. These two surprisingly gorgeous human beings have a makeout scene. And they reconcile. And for some reason, it starts to rain. I'll be honest, I never understood the romantic rain thing, but the point is that they're never sad again. They never again have holes in their hearts or have deep existential crises because according to these stories, love conquers all. So they live happily ever after. And look, I watch my share of these types of movies just like anyone else. But the problem with these movies is that we too await some sort of life-changing, beautiful event. We look for somebody else to complete us and fill the holes we have in our hearts. We think, it's going to be okay. We're going to fall in love. We're going to experience great beauty. And then we will be whole. The reason I like Paolo Sorrentino's The Great Beauty is because it rejects this narrative. The protagonist, Jeb, meets many women he could love, and yet undeniably inside of him, there still is that human existential void. He is a writer who writes a book which propels him to fame, yet he never follows his initial success with another book. When asked why, Jeb gives an answer that fascinates me. He says, I was searching for a great beauty and I didn't find it. Just like everyone else, I have that existential void that I am looking to fill. And just like the protagonists of the stories that I hated so much, I tried to fill it with things that just made it worse. Here's the hard lesson I learned. It isn't love that fills that void. It isn't money, power, fame, or in fact anything external that fills that void. But I didn't know what could fill it. So for a long time, just like Jeb, I craved, I ached for a great beauty. And now, I think I'm finally beginning to find it. I used to think of Great beauty is something I'll happen to chance upon, like stumbling on a pot of gold. 
I initially believed it's more magical for life to hand me the beauty because creating beauty makes the idea seem more mundane, more day-to-day, more daunting. But my life has taught me the opposite. There's something magical about noticing great beauty all around us and then learning to create it. I think Pam from The Office put it best in the final moments of that show. I thought it was weird when you picked us to make a documentary. But all in all, I think an ordinary paper company like Dunder Mifflin was a great subject for a documentary. There's a lot of beauty in ordinary things. Isn't that kind of the point? Like it or not, 99% of life isn't in the moments where we first fall in love or have a first kid or win that big game. 99% of life is in the ordinary. When our life flashes before our eyes, most of it's going to be the little moments, the day-to-day, the daunting journey to creating happiness. And look, if anybody ever told me this, I would say, okay, okay, Trust me, I know this. But if I look back in my life, I tend to discount those little moments so often. I think it's because my threshold for what counts as a beautiful moment in my life is just too damn high. The movie The Lunchbox really drove this point home for me. It was a very interesting story. One day, the protagonist comes across a box set that his wife used to love. I don't know why I wanted to see them. I watched them for hours. I went through them show by show, episode by episode. And then finally, after staying up all night, I realized what it was that I was looking for. Every Sunday when she watched the shows, I was outside repairing my bicycle or just smoking and I would glance through the window every now and then just for a second and I would see her reflection on the TV screen laughing. Laughing at the same jokes over and over each time as if she was hearing it for the very first time. I wish I had kept on looking back then. This mesmerizing little scene made me realize that I spend way too much time in my own head. Like I'm so type A that I feel the need to be productive every single second of every single day. But actually, instead of being truly productive, I keep myself busy by constantly anxiously thinking about work, doing meaningless chores, and having my eyes glued to my phone. And maybe the most productive the most beautiful, the most life-affirming thing I could do is to not look at my phone, to notice my surroundings and keep looking. Because when I started doing this, I noticed things that I had never, ever noticed before. I realized that life is full of these intricate human dramas that are always unfolding in front of our eyes. It's always just the little things, too, that catch my eye. Like an innocent smile a girl has while looking at the guy she started dating. 
the exhausting, doting love a mother has when she looks at her newborn. Or even something as simple as a guy being amused by a good book. There's so much beauty in those simple moments. We're so focused on being wryly cynical, on being productive 24-7, and or keeping up with the Joneses that we forget that none of that stuff really matters. We aren't going to regret taking a minute or two a day to take in life's beauty. Because it isn't the big things which are beautiful. The little things are the good stuff. My wife used to fart when she was nervous. She had all sorts of wonderful little idiosyncrasies. <laughs> you know, she used to fart in her sleep. <laughs> Sorry, I shared that with you. <laughs> One night it was so loud it woke the dog up. <laughs> she woke up and got like, oh, was that you? I said, yeah, I didn't have the heart to tell her. <laughs> oh, God. She woke herself up. <laughs> She's been dead two years, and that's the shit I remember. It's wonderful stuff, you know? Little things like that. Yeah, but those are the things I miss the most. The little idiosyncrasies that only I knew about. That's what made her my wife. Oh, and she had the goods on me, too. She knew all my little peccadilloes. People call these things imperfections, but they're not. Oh, that's the good stuff. And look. I'm going to continue to look forward to the big, gorgeous moments of my life. And I still can't help feeling a little bit giddy at that cutesy romantic speech at the end of a rom-com movie. But noticing the beauty of the mundane has given me a new appreciation for what a wonderful gift life really is. It may sound cheesy, but looking at the ordinary world like it's magical, that's the great beauty. I came across this hidden gem of a movie one night about a time traveler whose dad tells him the secret to happiness. And he seemed to echo so much of what I was thinking about that I can't help but to share it with you. And so he told me his secret formula for happiness. Part one of the two-part plan was that I should just get on with ordinary life, living it day by day like anyone else. And just like every normal human being, he goes through life stressed, worried, and in a rush, coming back home utterly emotionally and physically exhausted. Lights out. Yeah. Tough day. But then came part two of his dad's plan. He told me to live every day again, almost exactly the same. The first time, with all the tensions and worries that stop us noticing how sweet the world can be. But the second time, noticing. Okay, Dad. Let's give it a go. And when he came back home? So not such a bad day after all. No. It's pretty good, really. Very good day, actually. So now you're probably saying, okay, that's what this geared up to? Yeah, this is all cute and great and stuff, but I don't have time traveling abilities. But here's the thing. This time traveler took his dad's secret formula for happiness and he made it better. He went one step further. Okay, I'll do the kids. No, don't worry. I'll do them. Yeah, you do them, you lazy bum. The truth is, I now don't travel back at all, not even for the day. 
I just try to live every day as if I've deliberately come back to this one day, to enjoy it as if it was the full final day of my extraordinary, ordinary life. I don't get many things right the first time. In fact, I think if there's ever a secret formula to this nebulous thing we call happiness, that's it. Jeb, our protagonist from The Great Beauty, comes to a similar realization that I did about beauty, about the little stuff and the secret formula to happiness. He travels back to the island where he first fell in love, and he remembers how he used to see everything there when he was a young man. And at that moment, Jeb sees something that had been eluding him before. His knowledge of how things are and his cynicism about the world had blinded him to the beauty of life. Instead of his usual intellectual pretenses, he decides to learn how to look at the world like a tourist would. And finally, in this shift of perspective, he finds the great beauty he spent most of his life searching for. He closes his eyes and he starts to form the first sentences of his new novel in his beautiful native Italian. Finisce sempre così, con la morte. Prima però c'è stata la vita, nascosta sotto il bla 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 bla. E tutto sedimentato sotto il chiacchiericcio e il rumore, il silenzio e il sentimento, l'emozione e la paura. Gli sparuti in costanti sprazzi di bellezza e poi lo squallore disgraziato e l'uomo miserabile. Tutto sepolto dalla coperta dell'imbarazzo dello stare al mondo. Bla, 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 bla. Altrove c'è l'altrove. Io non mi occupo dell'altrove. Dunque, che questo romanzo abbia inizio. In fondo, è solo un trucco. Sì, è solo un trucco. If you want to learn more about this, or learn to create lazy habits that you will actually stick to, go to my site at embraceyourlazy.com. This essay was a remix of, and was inspired by, Bojack Horseman, Mad Men, Breaking Bad, The Great Beauty, The Office, Those Dumb Romantic Comedies, Lunchbox, Goodwill Hunting, About Time, a School of Life YouTube video series, About Midnight, and I'm sure some hidden influences. I hope you enjoyed this essay. Thanks for listening and hope to see you next time.